But hey, we, we are starting a new sermon series today. I'm so excited. For the next few months, we're actually going to be in the book of Colossians. We're going to have a number of series within the book of Colossians. And so today we're going to start with a series called Unleash. I'm excited about this because we're going to be talking about how to release a growing faith. We're, we're going to talk about how do you know if someone's really a believer? I mean, what are the characteristics of a genuine, born-again, Christ-following, Christ-honoring Christian? What are the characteristics of that person? And we're also in the series going to talk about how we can grow and those kind of things. So it's going to be an exciting time, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. Now, we're going to be looking in uh, the book of Colossians, and today we're going to be looking at a section of Scripture that's located at the very beginning of the book, chapter 1, verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Colossians. And uh, we're, we're going to be looking at, at this book. So I want to set it up just a little bit, kind of to let you know uh, what was going on, what, what was the context, what was happening at the time all of this was written because that has a bearing on the meaning of everything that we reread. Now, Colossa what was this, this city in the Roman uh, Empire. It was, rel- it was a relatively small city, but it was a diverse city. There were people there that were Jewish that lived there. There were people there that were Gentiles. There were a number of religious beliefs that were practiced there like much of the world at that time because Christianity was brand new on the scene. And at the time of the, at the very beginning, right before this letter was written, Christianity had not really entered uh, into Colossae yet. So um, what happened is that the people of Colossae had started hearing some, some people come into town and they'd been traveling and they'd come in and they'd go, hey, there's this incredible movement that's taken place. This, this unbelievable thing has happened. There's this guy, Paul, and he's going around and he's preaching and he's starting new churches and he's talking about that God has come to earth in the form of a man called Jesus and that he died on the cross for our sins. And if we put our faith and trust in him, we can be made right with God. And it's the most incredible message and they're starting to hear this. And so their curiosity was piqued. So a group of people from Colossa, they traveled a hundred miles to the city of Ephesus, where Paul was, where he was preaching. And they wanted to go hear him. They wanted to find out about this thing called, they called it, the movement was called the way. And they wanted to find out about the way. What in the world is this? What, what's going on? What do these people believe? What, what is all the hubbub about? You know, what, why are people getting so excited? How are lives being changed? What, what in the world is going on? So they go over to Ephesus. And while they're there, Paul is preaching, and a number of them came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They put their faith and their trust in Jesus. And there was one guy in particular, and his name was Epaphras. And Epaphras really just embraced Jesus, and God put a, placed a calling on his life right then and there. And so the people go back to Colossa to tell the people what was going on, and Epaphras goes back, and he's sold out, and God's called him, and he starts a Christian church in the city of Colossa. So here you've got this guy that's a brand new Christian. He's just learned the gospel. He just learned what it means to be a Christian. And he goes back and he's starting a church. And and it's exciting. And then people are attracted to the message because God's calling people to himself. People are coming into the church. This new church is starting to grow. But here's what happens. You know, when something like this takes place, you can imagine people are coming in and all their lives they've believed one thing. Maybe they grew up in a pagan belief system 
Or maybe they were Jewish and they had lived and grown up under the Jewish law and tradition. And so all these people are coming into this new Christian church and they're bringing with them some of the beliefs and practices from their previous spiritual you know, life and what they believed. And so it starts filtering into the church and Epaphras is a brand new believer himself and, and he's trying his best to hold things together but he starts to get a little concerned and he, he's starting to think, I need a little help. So he sends, I don't know how he did it, we're not told in scripture, but he sends a message to Paul. Maybe someone went back to Ephesus or maybe they, yeah, you know, maybe sent a carrier pigeon, I don't know. But anyway, somehow they got message to Paul that, that he said, we need, I need help. Uh, okay, I need some help because people are starting to get off base a little bit. They, they don't really know how to be believers. They don't know what Christianity really looks like and, and all these things are happening and I'm, 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 I'm getting a little, a, a little concerned here, Paul, I need your help. So Paul writes a letter and the letter that he writes is what you and I have in our New Testament as the book of Colossians. And so that's the letter that we're going to be looking at. And it's an incredible letter because in the first part of the letter, let's say the first, I'm going to say first half of the letter for simplicity's sake, for the first half of the letter, Paul really talks about theology. Now, he doesn't do it in a really, really deep way. He, he just says, this is what a believer looks like. This is how you grow in Christ. Uh, he says, and he gets a little bit later in the book, he talks about the supremacy of Christ. He talks about Jesus and about who Jesus is, what Jesus did and why Jesus really matters and why our faith should be put in Jesus. And he talks about stuff like that to sort of get them on the right road. Then the second half of the letter, he spends a lot of time talking to them about practical things. You know, how husbands and wives are supposed to treat each other and stuff like that. You know, how we get along and how bosses and, you know, and, and, and people that work for them should work together and how kids and parents are supposed to relate and just stuff that we deal with every single day of our lives. So he talks about those things. It's a very comprehensive letter. It is a great letter. It answers a lot of questions for you and me. So we're going to jump in today, and, and uh, we titled this message series that to begin with, uh, Unleashed, and because we're talking about how to, rele how to release a growing faith. And so today as we look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, and, and moving forward a little bit, we're, we're going to see what the marks of genuine believership are. What, is a real, what, is, what are the marks of a Christian? What are the characteristics of a Christian? What should a Christian look like? How can I look at someone and kind of go, they're probably a Christian? How can someone look at me and how will they know that I'm probably a Christian? How does that happen? Maybe you've wondered that sometime. Maybe you've gone, how do you know? Well, we're going to take a look. All right, well, the, as we, we do take a look, the first thing that I want you to see this morning, that, that a genuine believer has a strong faith in Jesus Christ. A genuine believer has a strong faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that, that court sort of goes without saying, I guess. I mean, if you're going to be a believer, you got to believe, right? And so, but a genuine believer has a strong faith in Christ. But what we're going to see is that it's not just about having a faith. Because when you say that you have faith in something, you, that can just basically say, I have, if I say I have faith in you, that means I believe in you, right? It, you can have faith in something, and that's just saying I believe in it. I have faith that this chair is going to hold me when I sit down. Well, I believe this chair is going to hold me when I sit down. 
But when you look into the, back and you read the Bible and you get into passages like this, sometimes we need to look a little deeper. We need to look at the languages. It was written, the New Testament's written in Greek and Aramaic. And so we need to look and we need to see, um, you know, okay, in the Greek language, do these words mean exactly what they mean in our English language? And in this particular case, they really don't or this word doesn't. Because when you look at the word uh, faith, it means something a little deeper than maybe what we think you know, that, that, that we, we just believe in, in something. But let's just start with, a, with a Colossians 1, 1 through 4. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossa, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard, now listen to this, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So, so that could, you know, somebody who just reads that could say, well, I just have, you have faith in Jesus. You believe in Jesus. But, it, but it's, more, it's more than that. He, he, you know, he begins by giving them a little pat on the back. He says, hey, I just want you to know that, man, grace and peace to you. We always thank God because we hear about this faith that you have. And, and, that and we, he's hearing that this faith is real and that it's genuine. But, but the Greek word faith, it, it means something deeper. It means to be persuaded that something is true and to trust it. And the root word for that, that word uh, faith, it also means to obey. So, so when Paul says that, that, that I'm you know, so grateful and we always thank God for you because of your faith, he's saying that, that something deeper than just believing. He's saying that, that, that you've embraced this truth and you believe this truth, and you've embraced the truth, and you obey this truth. So he says, when it says because of your faith, it's saying because something's happening with these people. There are three things that are happening with those people. One of the things that is happening is that they have believed. They have believed the message of the gospel. When Paul preached, and when the people there in, in, in Colossae were preached to by Epaphras, and when he explained to them what the gospel was, they believed that God came to earth in the form of a man. They believed that he died on a cross for their sins. They believed that he was buried in a tomb and that he raised again, he was raised again. They, they, they believed that if you put your faith and your trust in him, that you could have eternal life. So they, so they, they believed in him. And, and so, so they, they, that's the first thing that we need to see about faith is that they believe. But, but they went further than belief because you see, their life had to change because remember that word means something different in the original language. It doesn't just mean to believe in something. It means to believe into it. It means to embrace it. So it also means that they repented. What does that mean? Well, that means that, they, that they asked God to forgive them of their sins and they made a determination in their heart and in their mind and in their soul that I am going to change from this way of living and I'm gonna move and go in a different direction. And then the third thing is that they obeyed. Because you know, remember the root of that word in, in the Greek is that they obeyed. So they believed the gospel message. They believed in who Jesus was and what he did. And they put their faith and trust in him. They repented of their sins. They turned their life and they went in a different direction. And now they are living for God and they're trying to live out the principles and guidelines that they had at that time and, and, and you know, the, to, to live for him. 
And so when Paul says that we thank God for your faith, he's not just saying we thank God because you believe in Jesus. He's saying, no, we thank God that you believed into Jesus, that he's changed your life. Remember that song a moment ago, that he's turned us around, he's put our feet on solid ground, that we've been brought from death to life. I praise God that he's made a difference in your life. And, and so w- w- that's an important point. He says we always thank God for this. So that provides us the first mark of genuine faith. And, and, and that's a strong faith in Christ. In order for someone today, for you, for me, to have a relationship with Jesus, for us to have faith in Christ, we have to believe. Then we have to repent. We have to believe that who God is and what he did and what Jesus is and who and all that. And then we have to repent. We have to ask for forgiveness of our sins, turn our lives and go in a different direction. And then we have to try our very best to obey Christ and the guidelines and principles that we have. And we have a lot more than they had. We have the word of God. We have the Bible. So we have to believe and try to live by the Bible. We have to change. The Bible says in Romans 12 too, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds that by testing, we may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, our priorities have to change. We have to seek first, as Matthew 6.33 says, the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness. And then, and, and then you know, and, and it's, so we believe and we repent, but we also remember what I said, we have to obey and we obey God's word. Why do we obey God's word? Because Second Timothy, Paul wrote a letter to Timothy. He said, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we have to do those things. A genuine believer, uh, somebody that is a real Christ follower, they have a strong faith in Christ and that faith is marked by belief, by repentance and by obedience. That's how we, we know. You know, those things have to be there. Our, our, that's what demonstrates that we have faith to begin with. You know, we, in our culture today, a lot of people believe that if you're just good enough, you know, if, if, if I'm just a nice person, you know, if, if I'm really nice to people and, and if I help people and, and if I'm generous and kind and, and uh, you know, in all my life I'm that way and I put other people before me and, you know, I, 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 maybe I give a little money to help causes and organizations out and, you know, I, you know, I do all these things, then, then, you know, I'm good with God and I'm going to go to heaven. But you see, that's, that, that's, all those things are really good things to do. Don't get me wrong. Those are great things to do. But none of those things will get you to heaven. None of them will get you to heaven. The only way you can have legitimate, genuine, biblical faith is by believing in the message of Christ, by repenting of your sins, and by following Christ and obeying his word. That's the only way that you can have a relationship with God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We cannot get to God. We will never get to heaven outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, believing, repenting, and obeying. We've got to do those things. The mark of a genuine believer, follower of Jesus Christ, is that they've done these things. And maybe, I hope there's been a time in your life when you've done that. I hope there's been a time in your life when you can say, you know, yes, I believe in who he is, but there's been a time where it went further than the belief, where you literally got on your knees and you said, God, I am a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. I want to change the direction of my life. I want to follow you, and I'm committing my life to you. There has to be a time when you get to that place in your life or you are not a Christ follower. It's just that simple. 
because that's a distinguishing mark of a legitimate Christ follower, a legitimate Christian, is that they've done these things. So that's the first thing that we see. The second thing we see is that a genuine believer has a sincere love for other believers has a sincere love for other believers. Colossians 1, 3, and 4 again. I'm gonna read the whole thing. It says, we always thank God. Paul says, man, we're just giving God glory, thanking God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you guys, because we have heard of your faith in Christ. In other words, you've believed, you've repented, you've changed your life. We're so excited about that. And, and he goes, and we pray, for, pray since we've heard of that and we've heard of your love that you have for all the saints. You see, when you have that genuine faith. When God's made a difference in your life, when he has changed you and you've repented of your sins and you're following Christ, when you have that kind of a faith in your life, that kind of faith will not leave you where you are. It will change you. It'll make you a different person. And one of the things, we could go on and on about what it does, but one of the things that it does for you is it causes you to love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That is a distinguishing mark of a legitimate believer. Jesus said in 1 John, he says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. It's absolutely crystal clear that loving your fellow believers and brothers and sisters in Christ is not an option for a Christian. If you don't do that, you're not a Christian. It is a distinguishing mark of a believers, of a believer. Now, I know some of you right now are going, wait a minute, hang on, hold up, stop, put on the brakes, cool down, Ed, don't get excited. I do love people. And I love my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, except for, and you, put, you fill in the blank, right? And, and you're thinking, some of you right now are nodding your head. Don't you point at anybody right now. That's probably not a good thing, okay? But here's the deal. And you're saying, so you're telling me that because I have a problem with this person, because I can't get along with them, because I don't see things the way that they see them, that, 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 I, that, that I'm not loving them, and so therefore, I'm not a Christian? No, that's not what I'm telling you. Because you see, I'm not saying that you have to have the same emotional attachment to everybody, but I'm saying that you gotta love them. You gotta love them the way that Christ loved you because when Christ saved you, you were a dirty, rotten, stinking sinner. And you didn't deserve to be saved. You were an affront to God and you were an enemy of God, but God saved you while you were yet a sinner. That's what the Bible says. So sometimes we look at people and they don't act real good and they don't treat us real good and, and they profess to have a relationship with Christ, but we don't have any choice but to love those people in a sacrificial, serving kind of love. We don't have a choice. We have to love them. We have to imitate Christ, right? Ephesians says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in what? Say it, love. Walk, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, even while we were sinners. Je 
Jesus was once asked which of the great, which of the commandments was the greatest. A young lawyer approached Jesus one time and he said, listen, he goes, there's a lot of laws. There's a lot of stuff we've got to abide by. And if you're the Messiah and if you're the big guy and you're who everybody says you are, then you ought to have the answer to this question. So here's what I want. I want you to give me the elevator pitch for the law. I want you to give me a little short pithy statement. I want you to sum the law up for me. Tell me what the most important thing is. Tell me the thing that I've got to worry about. And this is what he said. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And then then he says this, this is the the great, the first and greatest commandment. Then he goes on, he doesn't stop. He goes, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. So, So he says, this love thing is really important. We have to love our neighbor. We have to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't mean that we have to be best friends with everybody, but we've got to love them. 1 John 3, 18 says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed in truth. We've got to love and put action behind our love. We need to care for people and take care of people. And when when you and I examine our own lives and the genuineness of our faith, we have to confront this issue of love for others. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain absolutely nothing. So love for other believers is necessary. It's a demonstration of our legitimate Christian lives. It demonstrates that we're really the real deal Love for other believers. Now, I'm going to be real practical for a moment because I I just want to talk to you for a moment because this is real. And one of the things that causes the body of Christ, it causes local churches and the body of Christ in general, so many problems. And it causes the world, the people out there that are not believers, to look at the body of Christ and go, I don't want to be a part of that, is infighting. It's people who don't love each other or are not demonstrating love for each other. Someone disagrees with a fellow believer on something. They don't see it the way that they see it. And so they attack them. Instead of coming to them in love, they attack them. And, they, and, and, and also, if you see someone that's gossiping, you see someone that's you know, spreading all kind of stuff around and sharing their opinion about everything and whispering behind everybody's back and talking and doing all, and they're doing that. If you see somebody doing that, let me just tell you something. That person doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. They don't. Scripture just said it. You got to love your brothers. So we need to do that. And we need to set the example. This church, I don't know about the other churches. I can't say what other churches are doing. I know there's some great churches around, but I can tell you right here at Heartland Church, we need to demonstrate love for one another and show the world that's how Christians live. We need to do that. It's a characteristic of your Christian life. It's a demonstration of the authenticity of whether you're a genuine believer or not. Another thing that Paul says is a genuine believer's hope is in Christ. He says in verse five, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven or or this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Paul says here that the kind of faith and love we've been talking about is evidence of our genuine faith. It comes from a hope that we have in Christ. It comes from the hope, he's telling the Colossians, the, the hope that you have because of what you've learned about from the word of truth, the gospel. So here we can see that there's this thing called hope. 
Now, when we talk about hope, you, you, you always have to sort of, you know, condition th- this thing because in our culture, in, in our world, when we say hope, it, it's, it's not a, usually a biblical um, definition of hope. When we say hope, we say things like, I hope it's going to rain, right? I, in, in other words, I would really like it if that happened. I hope that girl would go out with me. I would really like it if that happened. I hope that guy would pay attention to me. I would really like it if that happened. I hope I get the promotion at work. I would really like it if that happened. I hope I get that raise. I would really like it if that happened. I hope we never have to use the word pandemic again after 20, sometime this year. I really hope that happens, right? But you see, biblical hope is a confident expectation that something's really going to happen. So when Paul talks about their hope, he says they have a confident expectation that something's going to happen. And he says that that confident expectation comes from the word of truth, the gospel. So these people's hope was in the gospel. And so we can see that a genuine mark of believership is that our hope is in the message of Jesus Christ. Our hope is in the gospel. Well, what kind of hope do we have in the gospel? I mean, what what, what does the gospel tell us? What, What do we have? What promises do we have? What can we hang our hat on? What can we have a confident expectation of that's in the word of truth, in the gospel? Well, we get the hope for the future because we have the promise of heaven. We can know that if we belong to Christ, if, we've, if we're genuine believers, if we believed, if we've repented, if we're living in obedience, if we show love for one another and we're the real deal, we can know this. We can know that we're living the life that we're supposed to live and that one day this life is gonna be over, whether it's before Christ comes back or whether it's when he comes back, but whenever our life is over, whenever that time comes for us, if it's, whenever it is, we get to go to heaven. And, we, and when we get to heaven, we're not gonna have to worry about anything anymore. When we get to heaven, praise God, the word Omicron will not be in the heavenly dictionary. The the Delta variant will not be in there, right? The pandemic is not going to be there. There isn't going to be any more sickness there. The only pandemic in heaven is going to be that everybody there is going to be falling on their face, worshiping the King of Kings. And I'm all into that pandemic, right? And that's what's going to happen. And so we have hope for the future. Won't you be, you know, I think about heaven sometimes. I just think, man, wouldn't it be just, can you, we can't even really fathom heaven. But you know, sometimes do you ponder heaven a little bit? Can you imagine? I mean, we talk about walking on streets of gold. Quite frankly, that's a cool thing, but I could give a rip what the streets are paved of. Right? I'm just happy that I'm going to be in the presence of my God. I'm just happy that I'm going to be basking in his glory. I thank him for the benefit of the streets of gold. That's going to be cool. I mean, I can't wait. I get one of you and we'll walk along and go, look at this. Can you believe this? Look at this. But there's no more sickness. There's no more depression. There's no more addiction. There's no more relationships gone sour. There's no more boss that just drives you up a wall. There's no more employee that drives you up a wall. 
There's none of that stuff anymore. We have the confident expectation that everything will be perfect. We will be perfect. All will be perfect. God is there and he is the definition of perfection and all is going to be great. That's a hope that we have. We also have a hope right now that we have help in our present time. We have the Holy Spirit that indwells us. We have the confident expectation because of what the gospel teaches us is that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, when we believe, we repent, when we're obedient, when these things are happening, when we're loving our neighbor, and we have that kind of relationship with God, the Holy Spirit of God indwells us, comes inside of us. I mean, it is, lives in us, takes up residence in us. And so as we face the, tr- the troubles and the, the trials and the struggles and the difficulties of life, and, and as we try to navigate these and raise our kids the right ways and, and have relationships with people and go to work and do all this stuff and try to make sure that we got this for retirement and that and this and that. When we're trying to do all these things, we can have confident expectation that God knows what we're doing and what we need and that he's there for us because he's our heavenly father and that he's there to help us. And we can have that. So when Paul talks about hope, he's talking about those kind of things, not I hope so, but the confident expectation that those things are there for us. We have help right now. That is so powerful. So we've looked at three characteristics of a genuine believer. We've seen that a genuine believer has a strong faith in Jesus Christ. That, That they have a sincere love for other believers. That's another mark of Christianity. And they have hope in Christ, a confident expectation that he will fulfill his promises, that he will return one day, that he will do exactly what he said, that he's there for us each and every day of our lives. And those are the things that ought to be obvious in a person's life if they have a relationship with Jesus. So the big question is, are these things evident in your life? You know, if you call yourself a Christian, It's time for a little self-evaluation. Is your life marked by strong faith? Do you believe? Is there a point in time where you've repented, where you've got down on your knees and cried out to God and said, please forgive me of my sins and committed your life to him? Is there a time when when you've done that? Because without that, you, you can't have a relationship with Christ. Do you have hope, genuine hope, confident expectation that God is who he says he is, he can do what he says and he will do what he says he can do. Do you have the confident expectation? And you genuinely believe that he's sovereign and in control. I hope that you do. I hope that you can say yes to those things. Perhaps you're here today and You can't say yes to those things because you've never repented. Maybe you're here today and you go, you know, I've believed. I I believe that Jesus is God. I, I believe that. But have you ever placed your faith and trust in him? Have you ever gone to him and said, okay, before you, before God Almighty, I am asking you to forgive me, cleanse me, make me part of your family, Take away my sins. Take away the unrighteousness. Take away the things that break your heart, God. Make me clean. Have you ever prayed and asked him to do that? And committed your life to him? 
Well, if you're here today and you've never done that, but you, maybe today you, something has moved you, stirred you, and you feel God working inside of you, saying this is what you need. And if you're genuine and you're sincere and that is what you need, you just have to pray and ask him. You just have to pray. But it has to be a sincere prayer, a genuine prayer. And, and, and so I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to pray a salvation prayer. And I'm going to invite you, if you're here today and you really desire a relationship with Christ, I'm going to pray that prayer and let you pray with me to help you along. But I want you to be, just be so clear on this. There is nothing magic because I'm praying this prayer. I prayed this prayer years ago. I'm saved. But if you're praying this prayer today, it's your prayer that matters. God wants to hear your prayer, not mine, yours for this. But I'll lead you in the prayer. Pray with me right now. Just say, Jesus, I am a sinner. And God, I am asking you right now to forgive me of my sins. Right now, God, I'm committing my life to you in the very best way I understand, the way I, I don't know all the answers yet, but, I, but Lord, I know this. I'm asking you to forgive me and I'm promising that I'm gonna try to live for you to the best of my ability. I'm giving it my all right now. So I'm asking you to save me. In Jesus' name, amen. We have the promise of Almighty God. We have the promise through his word that if you pray that prayer, if you ask him to do that and you're genuine and you're sincere, that he will save you. And if you prayed that prayer, congratulations. It's the biggest and best decisions you'll ever make in your life. But here's something I know that some, a lot of times there are questions that need to be answered. So in just a moment, we're all gonna stand up and we're gonna sing. And while we're singing, if you made that decision today, I would encourage you to slide out and just go to the doors like you're gonna leave. There are people back there and they've got lanyards on and they say prayer team and they have some of them have t-shirts and, and they are there. They, are, they, they serve here at Heartland for the purpose of talking to you, of answering your questions, of providing some resources, telling you what, what's next, how do you do this, what does this mean? But connecting you with someone that can help, that's their role and they just love it when you come back and tell them. They're always excited about that. Perhaps you're here today and you are a believer. But as I was going through this and I talked about the characteristics of a believer, maybe you saw something in your own life today and you went, oh, that's not so good. I mean, I'm not loving my brothers and sisters like I ought to love them. Or maybe, I, you know, maybe you just say, you know what, I've, 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 I've been calling myself a Christian for a year, but I've never repented of my sins. I don't know where you are. Maybe you need to talk to someone as well today. Or perhaps you need to go to one of the crosses and you can see people have put prayer requests up on the crosses and we take those down each week as a staff. We take them to our staff meeting and we pray over those requests. Maybe you need to put a prayer on the cross. I don't know what you need to do. But I hope today that as you leave, there's something that's clear in your mind that you know now what a legitimate Christian is supposed to look like, right? They have faith. We saw that. They have faith in, in Christ. And, 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 and you know, and then they, they put that faith, they repent. They, they, they put it to work. They, they, they obey. They love their brothers and sisters in Christ. And their hope is in Christ. I hope that describes you today. Stand with us as we continue to worship.